Hey friends and Bible and Life podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of the show. And if you are joining us for the very first time, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. You know, really my heart is just to teach the Bible as best as I can. I really want to help you honor God and live the life you were created for by connecting the Bible to life. And that's what I'm all about on the podcast. That's what I'm about on my YouTube channel. So thanks for tuning in. I hope this is helpful to you and it really does help you understand the Bible, understand God, follow Jesus better. So thanks for joining me on the show. In addition to the podcast and my YouTube channel and some of those uh, sorts of resources I've put out there that way, I've also got some online Bible courses that uh, I've put on my website, and I would invite you to check those out. I'm offering those at a fraction of the cost of like at a college or something like that. But one of the courses I just finished uh, is called The Basics of Spiritual Growth, and it's really the heart of a course I taught for about 15 years at Boise Bible College. Uh, because it's really easy in a Bible college to teach the Bible and have students learn the Bible. But we, we want to make sure we're forming them in the way of Christ. In fact, last week's podcast episode was all about that with uh, Derek Voorhees, the current president of Boise Bible College. Well, this Basics of Spiritual Growth course was a course I started to teach at the college just to that end to help form students. I limited the, the course to uh, 12 students and we really, and we did it in the evening, and it really became a just a, a great experience. And so I put that course together on video. I'm offering it for $59 at the college. They paid right around $900 for it as part of their tuition. So it's just, man, a fraction of the cost. But I wanted to read you this little recommendation for that course from a special gal named Grace Hansen. Grace writes, out of all the courses I took at BBC, that course was the most impactful on my personal life and faith. It laid a foundation and took me on a journey to understand God's love for me that completely transformed me. I found freedom from low self-worth mindset that had tangled me up in an eating disorder and was finally able to dig into scripture to find the correct life-giving view of myself that has carried me through the ups and downs of ministry. I 100% recommend this course. It's vital that we understand the foundations of our faith and allow them to transform us in a personal, deep way if we want to have a lasting impact in our ministries, in our churches, in our life. And so I, I uh, man, that when I hear Grace say that, it's just always so humbling to me to know the impact of that course and, and God's working through his word in that course. And so if that sounds like something that might be helpful to you, I just invite you to check that out on my website. I'll put a link to my website below. It's under courses. It's called The Basics of Spiritual Growth. You can check it out there. All right, let's jump into the parable we're going to look at. Last week, we took a little bit of a break from the parables that we've been studying, and we had that interview with Derek Voorhees from the Bible College, and now we want to jump back into the parables, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, and this is actually a parable that was recommended by a listener who had been reading this parable, and um, some of the things I had been teaching combined with this parable prompted a question, and so she sent me the question, and and asked if I was going to explore this parable, and so I decided to add it into the list. And so we're going to be looking at the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids, depending on how your Bible titles it, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 25, 1 through 13 is where we're at. And this is really, in some ways, a very sobering, almost scary parable if we take to heart its message. Um, it's a parable that I think really should should cause us just to pause and maybe be a little bit self-reflective and 
examine our life and examine our heart and examine in the long run, our zeal for Jesus and our zeal for his return. And so that's why I think this is somewhat of a sobering and even a little bit scary parable for us to explore. And so let's jump into it. Matthew chapter 25. I want to read through the whole parable so you can hear the story. It may not be as familiar as some of the parables to us. And then I want to uh, provide a little bit of background and cultural context so we can hear it well. And, and then just wrestle with sort of the meaning and message of this parable, all right? So let me read it. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take any extra oil with them. But the wise ones took flasks of oil with their lamps. And now as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became a little bit drowsy and began to fall asleep. But in the middle of the night, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the wise ones answered saying, There won't be enough for us if we give some to you. Rather, go to the stores and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going out to buy some oil, the bridegroom arrived, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And here's the point. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day nor the hour. All right, so that's the parable. And like I said, in order for us to make sure we understand it, we at least need to have it set in its historical context as well, really, as its context in the life of Jesus and in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Remember that parables are stories that make a point. They're not true allegories, so don't get lost in all the details. We want to make sure we just hear the story so that we get the point, okay? And in order to do that well with this one, we need to know some of the cultural background. Um, American weddings have a kind of a certain rhythm to them, although anymore it seems like there's just a lot of flexibility and freedom. But there's still certain things that happen in an American wedding and an American wedding celebration. You have the you know, you have the bridal party, you have the wedding ceremony, you have the reception and all of that. Well, in Jesus' culture, in Jesus' day, Jewish weddings uh, consisted of several important ingredients or components that made up really the whole process of getting married. And this parable reflects those, and those are just assumed in the nature of the story. So, a couple would be betrothed. That was a legally binding act this idea of betrothal, betrothal, and so they would get betrothed, and then um, there would be sometimes up to a year of preparations, preparing for the wedding, preparing for their life together, including the groom building his home, and and the home where he and his new wife were going to live. And so when all the preparations were ready, then it was time for the actual wedding feast. And wedding feasts usually lasted a whole week. This parable focuses on the first day, the first night. And so the groom would have his uh, wedding party, his comrades, his friends, who would be part of his entourage, and the bride would have her wedding party, her friends, that would be part of 
her bridal party, her entourage, all right? And this parable assumes that. And so you have these virgins who are most likely bridesmaids. They're some form of the wedding party, and they have a very important role to play in the wedding ceremony. The way it worked in their culture, once the preparations were ready and once it was time for uh, the husband or the, the groom and the bride to be brought together in marriage, then the groom with his his entourage, his wedding party, would make his way from his place where he's been preparing for their life together. He would make his way to the bride's place and he would pick up his bride, and they would walk back to his place in sort of like a grand parade. And usually this would happen at night, in the evening. And so um, the bride with her wedding party would now would now go to the groom's place, and there would be a canopy set up, and there would be a wedding service, and then there would be a week-long marriage feast that was a week-long celebration of uh, their new wedding. That's the way it would work. And the, the function of the bridesmaids would be when they heard that the groom was coming, they would go out and they would meet him. And then they would, along with his, his party, they would escort him to the bride. They would bring him to the bride. And then, uh, then they would all uh, walk together with all the townsfolks in kind of a festal celebration back to the place where the wedding and the week-long celebration was going to happen. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, this parable assumes all of that, and so the preparations are made. It's time for the wedding. Um, they know it's coming. They just don't know exactly when. The, the uh, bride is ready. The bridesmaids are ready and waiting. Um, but according to the parable, some are wise and some are foolish, the reason they are foolish is because they failed to bring extra uh, oil for their lamps. And so now um, it took a little bit longer for the final preparations to be made. We don't know the reason why that is, but it took a little bit longer. And then the groom with his party begins to make their way. It's announced that he's on the way. Everyone wakes up and gets ready. Um, and the the bridesmaids who are supposed to go out and meet the groom are are you know getting their lamps going and the foolish ones realize man our lamps are either already out or about to go out the oil's gone we don't have any more oil could you share some with us and the the ones who are prepared like we don't have enough to share with you if 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 we give you some of ours all of our lamps are going to go out the whole you know parade is going to be kind of botched because of that you guys just need to go find some shops and there's actually some cultural evidence that some of some shops in town would, or vendors in town at least, would stay open late um, on the uh, night of a wedding in order to make sure they could accommodate people having enough oil and all that. So they're told to go to some shops and buy some extra oil. But while they're gone, the groom shows up, They, the bridesmaids meet him, they escort him to his bride, then they all head to the wedding feast. Um, and the other ones return from buying their oil. It's too late. The door is shut. And they're not going to be admitted in because they were unprepared. And that's really the point of this parable is the lack of preparation. All right, so that's sort of the cultural background here that uh, helps us picture what's going on in the story and why Jesus tells it the way he does. Also, I think it's important for us to make sure we hear the the context in Jesus' ministry. We're when this parable is told, we're approaching the end of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry. We're in the final few days before his crucifixion, 
and he is preparing his disciples as well as uh, the crowds for what is to come. And so, um, Matthew 24, uh, Jesus answered a question from his disciples that was really a two-part question dealing with two things. Can you tell us when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed as well as when the end is going to come? And he has um, a fairly lengthy uh, discussion in Matthew 24 about that. It's actually a challenging discussion, and there's uh, a lot of mixed opinions about how to read and understand that. That's a discussion for another day. Um, And then coming out of that, he begins to talk about being prepared, being ready, um, and the delay in really Messiah bringing his kingdom in all its glory. And that's really the heart behind um, this parable that we're looking at and several other parables around it, that there's this need for uh, being alert and being a being ready and prepared because the Messiah's kingdom is going to be delayed in its full arrival, all right? Now, that's what really prompted the question of the listener to ask this uh ask me to consider this parable, and, and that is this, is a lot of the things I've been pointing out is that Jesus uses the word or the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God and says it's at hand, it's near, it's it's breaking into the here and now that it's already present, but in this parable and the ones around it, it's still to come. And there's that tension between the kingdom of heaven coming in the here and now and the kingdom of heaven coming into the future. And uh, it's a really important observation that this listener noted is because both are true. Both are true. So the kingdom of heaven most precisely refers to the reign of the king, the rule of the king. And in, in our case, our king is Messiah Jesus, and it ref, ref, um, the kingdom of heaven refers to his kingdom um, coming into this world. So has the kingdom of heaven come? Has the kingdom of God come? Yes, it's come in part. It's broken into the here and now already um, by virtue of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and then the ensuing pouring out of the Spirit. God's kingdom has come in part, but not fully. And we're still waiting for the full reign of God's kingdom to come later. Um, New Testament scholars refer to this as the tension between the already and the not yet. We've already experienced in part the blessings of redemption, the blessings of Messiah's reign, but we haven't yet experienced those things in fullness. And so we're still waiting for them to come completely and fully. You see that tension all over the New Testament, where, for example, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul can say in chapter 1 that um, we have experience redemption, specifically the forgiveness of our sins. But in, I believe it's chapter 4, he says we're waiting redemption, specifically the redemption of our bodies. And so we have redemption, but we don't have it fully. And that tension is all throughout the New Testament. So uh, Messiah's kingdom has come in part, but it hasn't come completely yet. And thus, there's this need for us to be watching and waiting and ready and prepared for the Messiah's kingdom to come. So, we experience the blessings and the goodness and the grace and the gifts and some of the power of um, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the here and now while we're waiting for the full arrival of that kingdom to come when Jesus returns. And so this parable is basically saying to us, 
we need to make sure we're not like the foolish bridesmaids who were unprepared, who got lazy, who didn't think it really mattered or whatever it is. That's the whole point. And so the point of the parable is enunciated in verse 13, watch therefore. Watch, therefore, be on the alert, keep your eyes open, be prepared is the idea, for you don't know the day or the hour when the groom is actually going to arrive and the wedding feast is going to be inaugurated and the wedding feast is going to be begun. That's the day we're waiting for. And that image of a wedding feast is frequently used in the New Testament as well as in Jewish literature outside of the the Bible. for the arrival of Messiah and his kingdom in fullness. In fact, the book Revelation pictures it that way even. And so we're waiting for this day when um, when earth and heaven will be married again. We're waiting for this day when the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and will, will plant itself on earth and the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We're waiting for the day when God's full justice will come, God's saving justice, and all that is wrong in this world will be set right and everything will be the way it's supposed to be. We're waiting for that. It's Broken into the here and now by virtue of Jesus' um, death and resurrection, new life is here in the imagery of C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? The, 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 um, the spring is beginning to push back winter and uh, you know, death has been defeated and the curse has been overcome and been reversed and new life is at work in this world. We're waiting for it to come completely and fully when Jesus returns. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be watchful and vigilant and making sure we're, we're actually taking seriously the words of Jesus and we're we're alert and we're waiting for his arrival and we've prepared ourselves for that. And that's why I say this is a little bit of a sobering and even almost scary parable. Um, it's easy for us to get complacent. It's easy for us to rest on our laurels. It's easy for us to just kind of coast, you know, oh yeah, we've done enough. Oh yeah, we're, we're spiritual enough and just kind of coast. It's easy for us to say, well, you know, who knows when he'll be coming. And so, right, it's easy for us to be unprepared. And this parable throws out to us this challenge of saying, no, 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 don't do that. Keep your eyes open. Be alert. Make sure you're ready. Be prepared. And the primary way we do that when we read all the parables of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament, the primary way we do that is by being faithful and obedient to Jesus, to Uh, the teachings of Jesus, to the character of Jesus, to the mission of Jesus, that we're faithful in living our life with and for Jesus. We're living our life His way and for His purposes as we go about our life. That's the primary way we need to make sure we're ready. And so this, this parable of these virgins says to you and says to me, be ready. Be prepared. Live for Jesus and live your life His way and for His purposes as you go about your life. So here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to maybe schedule some time or carve out a little bit of time just to be a little self-reflective and examine with your family what would it look like to actually live according to Jesus' way for Jesus' purposes. And are you doing that on your job? On your job, how could you live in partnership with Jesus for his purposes and do your job his way? 
in your neighborhood? How could you relate to your neighbors the way Jesus would relate to his neighbors and for the same purpose that Jesus would relate to him that way? What does that look like and how can you do that? That's what it means to be getting ready for the return of Jesus, to be prepared and to be watchful, knowing that it could happen at any any day. Every Every morning you wake up and I wake up, we're a day closer to the return of Jesus, to the day when his kingdom will come in fullness and everything will be the way it's supposed to be. And all that's wrong with this world will be removed and justice will roll down like the waters and righteousness will permeate the world and grace and truth will be the order of the day. And that'll be a good day, my friends, a good day. And so let's be prepared, watching and ready for that day, because we never know when it might come. All right, hope that's helpful to you, just to think through that parable. And uh, I want to give a huge shout out to all the people who, um, by their generosity, are supporting this show and supporting my Bible teaching ministry online. Thank you so much uh, to those of you who are patrons on my Patreon page those who are supporting in other ways through uh, the donate button on my website or through World Family Mission. Um, if you want to get involved and you want to support this show that I, so that I can continue just to, to make uh, helpful content online available to people who want to learn the Bible, I'll link a couple different ways you could, uh, you could support this ministry on the, in the notes below. So thank you to all of you who are being so generous and making this possible. Much appreciated for me, and I know it's appreciated to people all over the world who are listening to the podcast and and uh, who may not have access to this kind of teaching if it weren't for your generosity in making this possible. So thanks a ton. God bless you guys. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Bible in Life.